We are back, y'all. Once again, Master James. Shri Shri Paramahansa Yogananda Bhagwan Ramana Ramada in Pasaya, Jasidan. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, there, there's something so beautiful about Sanskrit where, whether mm. it's with these elaborate fun, but it's, it's like fun titles. Mm. None of them are ever um, mm. like ordained, like, well, I mean, I'm sure there are, but in yeah. general, it's not yeah. like, it's not like you're a PhD and everybody's got to now say doctor. It's like, they're so um, belovedly given. Yeah. Loving lovingly given yeah. and then just it's like it's like music mm -hmm. and people are remixing it and mm -hmm. remixing it and even just it is a gorgeous language it really is it's amazing i mean there are a lot of people that have written and talked a lot about the wonder of sanskrit it's like it's like computer coding before computer coding it's so amazing and mathematical and at the same time as you're saying really it is like computer programming yeah you can move it around it, right they, in fact i think they've there is some connection there's some i don't there know there's object oriented uh programming mm -hmm. that is um that you can move around yeah quite a bit yeah um and i and i th and i was just hearing there's can't remember which philosopher this is completely disconnected from programming mm -hmm. but object-oriented uh, philosophy um and i was wondering if they're in my head i, I need to look it up but yeah so that that's so interesting yeah computer programming yeah i don't know I, it's probably a big massive uh rabbit hole but there's um yeah there's a lot of discussion about sanskrit as the most mathematical eloquent form to be like the universal language underlying technology in various various ways and and so much other things about sanskrit i mean it really is incredible just how it's structured and how efficient it is and um yeah <laughs> but that's the beginning and end of my my knowledge of that i just know it's really beautiful also and 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 seems to work really well it is so beautiful. There's a yeah, growing appreciation for it mm. uh, each, yeah. each yeah. week. With yeah, that happens. Yeah, and just the depth of it, and the the etymology, and the roots, and everything. It's that's it. That itself is ten lifetimes. It's an ocean within the ocean, in the ocean yeah. <laughs> of the ocean. <laughs> it's oceans everywhere you look in this ocean. <laughs> but there. There's something outside of Sanskrit, maybe it's cultural, cultural that there also will be so many names for the same thing. Yeah. Like Shiva and Maheshwar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, Shankara. Yeah. Yeah. Why? I'm sure you, this is a total lob mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. um, but that would seem at first blush to be very confusing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Krishna, there's so many names for Krishna. I don't know. I think, uh, who knows? There's no like authoritative answer that I have anyway, other than to say that India is vast and in terms of time, it's vast in terms of culture, it's vast in terms of people. I mean, there's like 1,200 languages or something. I always get that number wrong. And then thousands of dialects for each language. And there's so many interpretations of, of the same thing. It's like the rice, again, how many ways to make rice. 
different contexts they all of these not only masters but people just characters and have different names um arjuna has dozens of different nicknames in the bhagavad gita the main character krishna calls him so many different things hmm. um even uh, our guru's name parthasarathi it means krishna hmm. partha is another name for arjuna <laughs> and sarthi is driver so parthasarathi our guru swamiji swami parthasarathi swami a parthasarathi he is krishna i mean that name means krishna so all the names in so many of the names in india mean one or the other of the gods or the goddesses or the powers or something you know mm. yeah just who knows that place is an ocean who knows <laughs> i don't know what the answer i wonder is. i wonder if it's related to like in texas where everybody has multiple nicknames you're always coming up with that's why yeah. i'm always as just two texans yeah, yeah. sitting here with yeah. mics i'm yeah. I I will not just sit down and just call you Joseph. Right, right, right. Yeah, like Australia, everyone's like Jamo and Jamio, mm -hmm. and yeah. <laughs> everything's O there. You know? mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it you know Swami tells us that where there's nicknames, it's love. It shows it shows affection. Where you have nicknames, it shows affection. So this is why Krishna has all these names for Arjuna. It's like close to him, you know. Mm -hmm. If it's just formal, then you know, not necessarily as with the people you're really close to, you have these nicknames for, you know? Hmm. Right. So it could be that. But you're right. It is. Uh, it's remarkable the um, ornateness of the culture, which is uh, born out of Vedanta. Hmm. What's something that you were reflecting on or studying this morning if i may be so bold to ask yeah uh this morning i was uh looking at the end of vedanta treatise chapter 21 vedanta treatise is our guru's book swami parthasarathy's magnum opus huge comp i mean just a priceless contribution to humanity this book the whole vedanta in one book vedanta treatise uh and i was reading the end because the class that i teach on uh sundays of that book is just about to finish the book it's right at the end and uh looking at the qualities of the self-developed person and um i have you know different vintages of notes so for me, it's pretty illuminating to take like a, literally a paragraph and um, read the notes from 98 that I took when Swami taught that paragraph and then read the notes from 2004 when, mm -hmm. that I have somewhere else, you know, and it's a slow project that I may never finish in life, but I have I've at least organized it on, on my computer where it's like, okay, there's 98, there's 90. 2005 there's this there's that um all at least in one place but it might it took me like i haven't even finished i don't know i sat there for an hour and a half this morning and was into that paragraph and <laughs> just all the different ways he's talking about 
uh, self-sufficiency. And like, interestingly, the, the, the copy that I have, I used to write notes in pencil in Vedanta treatise at the ashram. And not full notes, I was just like interesting key points, basically, that he'd mm-hmm. say something, I'd make an, a note. I wasn't like really word-for-word word notes. Um, but that edition of that of the book, he, he, the same quality in that edition is independence. And then this edition, it's self-sufficiency, mm. which itself is fascinating to sit and think about. And then on top of all the other things, but basically... I mean, really, if I was just, if you really boil down what is the chief characteristic of self development, you know, and he goes on to talk about um, universal love is one, cheerfulness, a few others. But like I said, I was stuck on just the first one. Um, and yeah, it, it's it, the capacity to be unaffected by independent of what's happening around you uh not aloof or or um disconnected or numb none of that that's all not the quality we're talking about to be fully in it but not of it you know to be like in the heat of this heat wave in southern california it's so funny that everyone's fretting because it's 82 <laughs> you know all my houston class members are laughing you know i told them that it's a heat wave um a lot of agitation okay it's a heat wave a big deal the body's hot the body gets hot the body gets cold philosophically on unaff- you won't be on unaff- you won't be affected by all this you won't be disturbed by external things Oh my God, inflation. Is it a recession or a depression? Oh my God, how much money is in my bank? Oh Jesus, what's going to happen? So affected. So disturbed by the world around us. So dependent upon the world to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. To have our people around us be a certain way. To have people respond to us the way we want to. To have even the, you know, how we respond to others. Ex, the external world is is we're all so specific about how it needs to be how our environment is just to be okay just to be normal just to be like able to function normally uh, is is uh is the condition that humanity is in so he's saying don't do that don't be a slave to the world be independent of the world be self-sufficient Take, he says, he goes so far in that section of Vedanta Treatise, he says, take, uh, only take refuge in the self. The self should be your only uh, satisfaction. The moment we take satisfaction, the moment we lean on anything in the world, we bought a ticket to suffer at some point because it's going to change or you're going to change. Can you say that again to underscore it for us? Uh, so we've got to, the, the book is saying, Vedanta Treatise is saying, we've got to take refuge in the self itself. We've got to put all of our eggs in that basket. We've got to 
invest everything in that one play, which is the consciousness. Because if we take any solace in anything or anyone or anywhere or any any anything outside of us, we are at we will suffer. It's a question of time. How long? We don't know. How intensely we don't know. It may be a brief suffering. Maybe may not. You may love that T-shirt and really just get involved in it mentally. Yeah, gosh, man, I love this T-shirt. I may love these pajamas, you know, and get so and uh, uh, I feel good in these pajamas. It's me. I'm I'm myself. Mm. And they're gone. I, it, something gets torn, or your T-shirt gets shrunk. You can't wear it anymore, or something. The shirt did shrink. Actually. Yeah. So then after like a day, though, you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. So the, it may not be that acute, right? But when it, those things, it's easier to be independent, self-sufficient. But it should instantly just be, go- oh, it's gone, oh, it's gone. Or it's come, it's come. No involvement at all, no affectation at all by the world is the, it's the very end of Vedanta Treatise. He's giving the, the highest qualities of a perfected, what is the characteristic of a truly self-developed person is, they are completely independent of the world. Even of their body. Anything happens to their body, they're still okay. Even their mind, their intellect, they, that also is the world. They are self-sufficient. Absolutely independent of anything in the waking state at all. That's the kind of extra rub that I got, I think, this morning that he was talking about. Some notes from some of the years. He's like, what we're actually talking about is being free of the waking state while walking around in it. Mm. Which includes, the waking state includes the waker and the waking world. They're doing something. You're somewhere else. That's self-sufficiency. James and his world are going on. You are not that. You're somewhere else. Yeah, you said something so illuminating the other day where you just said, treat it like... It was your neighbor three blocks away. Yeah. It means you. <laughs> yeah, treat treat yourself like it. It's the neighbor three blocks away that you see once every six months walking their dog. Just, yeah. oh, I hope they do this right. I hope they do the right thing. I hope, yeah. oh, I want them to, okay, yeah, start working out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely surrender control of this business situation because it's not going so well by clinging to that control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, detach from this needed outcome of trying to make it there on by this time or something for mm. just yeah. There's that. It is something brilliant of just you saying three blocks away that yeah. added to it. Yeah, the neighbor three blocks away. It'd move your uh, point of identification off the whole thing altogether. See it from the balcony of truth. He says, mm-hmm. watch it all from the balcony of truth. It all means you. All your drama, all your non-drama, all your peacefulness, all your agitation, all your comfort, all your discomfort. Watch it. Absolutely watch it. Um, Be unperturbed. Samaha at all times. Be, have that sameness, that steadiness, that stita pragna is one who's of steady wisdom. They all... I've only known one really in my life. One person completely unaffected, independent. What is independent? It's not independent like he can go do whatever he wants all the time. Independent in the sense his 
well-being is completely independent of anything external. His, his, his satisfaction is independent of anything external, including his own personality and its health and its wealth and its whatever. It doesn't affect him whatsoever. Uh, I've seen this only demonstrated by Swamiji. I've never seen anyone even near that league. Nobody I've ever known in my whole life. And I've known some great folk, I must say. I'm really good people. There's some really wonderful people in my family. There are some wonderful people in the ashram. I have various elders and various parts of life who are extremely incredible humans. <laughs> you know, done awesome, really awesome, sacrificial lives and devoted and dutiful and wise and loving and all these wonderful things. But all nobody I've ever seen has been always ever independent unaffected self-sufficient internally there's always something in the world that will get them mm. and I, this man i've never in my 25 years of getting to witness swami i've never seen ever i've never seen a fluctuation not even a not even like a mild blip <laughs> that not that i can see but you know like situations where you know there's there's real challenges going on. There's this threat to the ashram or this opportunity for the ashram could be either or or this person's attending this talk or this person's not attending this talk or whatever the case may be. Uh, or somebody disagrees publicly with him in a lecture or somebody else. Um, I've been in all different types of situations with him and he's the same. He's like the rock that the world breaks itself against. Hmm. it's amazing it's just amazing and it comes from absolutely identification with the supreme consciousness alone he is has nothing to do with the personality so why why would he be affected by whatever happens to it it's incredible it's incredible uh quality of self-sufficiency independence so yeah i was there this morning for like a couple hours and or half an hour hour and a half and didn't get very far it was, it was a lot of depth <laughs> that is yeah that is knowledge bomb that i remember coming across a few years ago and we've chatted a, a little bit about self-sufficiency but it is it's i remember feeling like that's kind of out of left field self-sufficiency yeah. oh, that's interesting yeah just it's not something you hear too much about in, in most spiritual or philosophical wow lineages you, or, or you know expositions you don't just see or you don't see that very often where it's like oh the highest ideal at least one of the highest ideals is is self-sufficiency if anything you know what's and maybe it's just a word choice but you see sometimes the opposite as a high ideal of um, connectedness and there actually could be in a virtuous way, could be saying the same thing, but a misinterpretation is like seek, 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 get that social connection, create social bonds. People that live the longest have, I was reading it today's, mm -hmm. show strong social bonds mm -hmm. with their community. And you could easily misinterpret that too. I'm incomplete until I create these bonds until i i get out of it and i th i think it's something like 43 percent of adults 
um, in a survey noted that they are frequently, they feel frequently, uh, they feel alone frequently during the course of a week. Mm. 43, almost half. Mm. So you could read that and say, I need to create these social bonds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and just as is the case with so many studies, you don't know what's causation, what's correlation. Mm. Could be the opposite, mm. where it's the people that feel most complete mm. end up creating those social bonds. Which itself is an example of dependence. Right. I, I have a buddy who um, the other night, you know, I went to, had a had a, a pizza place on Lincoln. I forget what it's called. Anyway, Double Zero. Oh, yeah, Double Zero. Yeah. Shout out to Double Zero. Great pizza. Vegan stuff. And we were talking, my buddy and I, and um, he was saying something about <laughs> California. It's like, you know, just all the health stuff and all the different... Um, life enhancing hacks and he's like you know we all we love saunas and cold and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and he's like i don't know though man like i don't want to live that long (laughs) i was like but he was he wasn't being like cocky he was just like i don't know like from what i can tell like 75 80 is good man like after that like why do we even want to do that (laughs) the irony is if he takes that approach he'll probably relax and live longer right? than someone who's like, you know, dying to get all the right supplements and get everything right and get cold enough and get hot enough and starve enough and eat enough. And uh, to, for what? Because mm-hmm. you're not independent of the body. And you're completely dependent upon, you know, your T levels and got to get your B, B8, B50 when you're 80 and all this mm-hmm. stuff that he just, this is definitely the Mecca for all that. You know, and he was, I don't know how it came up, but I remember just looking at him when he said it. And I was like, he really means that. And he's like, cool and calm. He's not in any way. He loves his life. He, he, he's, he said, I want to see my daughter have kids. Like, he's got a beautiful family. He's a successful guy. Happy dude. Loved by tons of people. He's a great guy. But he's like, it's enough, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, even Swami says now, he says, he he jokes and he bugs everybody in the room. You would you saw it when we were there. He he messes around with everybody, being like, "Hey, I'm 95, man. I'm going soon." And everyone, Swami, stop, stop talking mm-hmm. like that. Don't say that. And everyone gets so annoyed, you know. And he says, "It's too long to live. Yeah, 95 is too long." And he's like got his arms open, laughing, and he's not kidding, you know. Um, so even that is an example of dependence on this life itself, you know, like. Uh, so dependent upon this personality that you are, that you that you're so stoked on being, and it's great. It's great to be stoked on being who you are, and it's nice. And but that itself is like too much. Like, but I have to express myself, and everyone should know what my view is and what is my legacy. And oh, but my legacy. What legacy, man? Mm-hmm. Forget all that stuff. Who cares? Yeah, I remember someone <laughs> at at work once saying so he he felt like it was it was really profound contribution to the dinner conversation to say you know i once heard every every person dies twice the day they die and the last time their name is spoken oh wow i was like who gives an f about the last time you (laughs) if you're gone why would you Right, care yeah. for it, and it's also just a losing battle. Four hundred fifty years later, oh yeah, forty-five years later, your name is. What would the difference be? Mm. 
that that sufficiency that self-sufficiency is it is so rare here's another reason it's rare is we're told to be so dependent on church up the block would say so dependent on god so dependent on community so dependent on x something outside of you yeah so it was just really rare and in stark contrast with the messages we typically hear to to see this this list of these these ideals actually no i think i first maybe you and i were talking about it years ago was when i first heard it It was before i had the whole explanation in um in vt and vedanta treatise and I just remember that was a real knowledge bomb for weeks of being like, wow. Because it it might be helpful for, it was helpful for me to think through the opposite. So it might be helpful for listeners to think through what does someone that's self-insufficient act like? If you were to describe that type of person, what what do they look like? What do they act like? Very um, anxious. <clears throat> Very unsettled. Um, really can't stop uh, spinning plates. You know, even if in, in a gravity-free environment where the, spa- the plate will keep spinning by itself, still like making sure all the plates are spinning just right all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Keeping everything going all the time. Uh, it, it's an extremely extroverted life by definition. And I don't mean it in the way that we use it in the West. In Vedanta, introversion is a high quality. You have less desires. You're less prone to be out in the world. Your mind doesn't go out to the things and beings of the world as much. You're because you're self-sufficient. An extrovert is a mind is fully all the time, morning, noon, night, pursuing the world, all the time trying to correct the external world. An introvert is much more interested in how am I meeting the world? Or how am I... What is my approach to whatever the world is? Whether it's a quote-unquote good world, a quote-unquote bad world, whatever. So the opposite of self-sufficiency is frenetically trying to keep the sandcastle of the world going and protected from the onslaughts of tide and just constantly keeping relationships going, keeping whatever it is, bank balance is growing and this happening and that happening and that and just never um, finding any time, as Swami quotes the poet, to stand and stare, to just be with oneself uh, comfortably. That, That is not accessible to a person who is completely dependent upon the world. You have to develop that capacity to just be with yourself with satisfaction peacefully just resting in your own self resting in that um so one one i mean obviously to do it in the the truest sense is to be self-realized to literally rest in your consciousness but before that you can rest in the thought of yourself It has a calmness about it. It has a peace about it. That um, once you taste that, that inner palace 
of contemplation. My golly, other things just, you're not dumb. You, you still know the difference between good food and bad food, beauty and ugliness, you know, good temperatures and bad temperatures and whatever. But you, your deepest satisfaction's internal. And until then, until someone starts getting even in that, even in that direction, you'll start to be much more uh, self-sufficient. Um, but uh, if not, then it's, it's just um, a constant restlessness. Mm-hmm. So I always say like airport's the best, best place to exercise. Just, you got you to wait. You got to be where you are. You, you're already through security. You can't go get in the car and go do anything else. Just sit. I'm not saying sit like the meditators on the beach here, but like just sit in the chair and watch the world. It's fascinating. Check out the airplanes, see the people. I love airports. <laughs> just sit and see people go by and recognize. Just be there with what you're there, you know, feel the air, see what's going on. Just be with yourself. Sit on an airplane and watch clouds go by. You don't have to work on anything. You don't have to achieve anything. Um, I was once walking with Swami in the ashram back in the day when he used to walk on the track and jog every morning with us in his 80s, <laughs> you know, in his younger days, <laughs> in his early 80s when he was young. Um, and I was going somewhere. I was leaving India to go probably back here to the States, I guess. And um, I said, Swami, I'm leaving today. Any advice? Just I was kind of half joking. Like, we're just walking, you know. I wasn't even, like, really looking for advice. I mean, sort of kidding. And just joking. And But he immediately said, watch one movie. I was like, oh, my God. He just killed me. <laughs> because I think about it every time now on airplanes that he said that. Just watch one movie. He didn't say what to do with the rest of the time. That's the fascinating thing. He just put it negative. And I mean, he said, just watch one movie. And the, and I, the rest of the time, I didn't ask him. That much brains I have to let like TV shows. To let, yeah, <laughs> to let suggestions sink in. At that time, they didn't have TV shows. Mm-hmm. And it was still just movies. Um. What did you do with the rest of the time? I actually don't remember that particular trip, but I think about it every time these long flights. Okay, I can like try and watch four movies and eat everything they give me and flip through every magazine and do all the crossword and Sudoku puzzles and buy stuff for duty free. <laughs> like I can really mm-hmm. like, or I can just sit here and take stock of myself and my situation and the fact that I'm going 574 miles an hour at 36,000 feet, you know, across an ocean that, you know, it's crazy. It's just a crazy thing sitting in a chair, like in a, like a lazy boy, basically, you know, it's unbelievable if you're lucky and you're a lazy boy and, uh, or yeah, look out the window, see the clouds. I flew over Iran this time. It was unbelievable. All day long. I was staring at Iran. I watched like one movie on that flight or like I didn't watch a movie. I think I watched like an episode of Animal Planet. I was just watching Iran. I mean, that's crazy. We flew over Tehran. When am I? I This blew my mind. Mm. Simple, childish pleasures. You mean eat your food, eat your food. 
just eat your food. You know, you'll be satisfied with just sitting down and really just tucking into a nice meal. You don't have to have, you know, but if not, you have to have 18 people with you and you've got to have it just like this and it's got to be like this and be like that. Just simplify your life. Uh, this happens more and more as you're self-sufficient, as you're independent. And these fellows, uh, these great masters, they're extremes, you know. They're like sitting in one place for 27 years and all that because they're genuinely satisfied. Ramana Maharshi sat in one cave for 19 years. <laughs> we should go there, man. You, you mm -hmm. would, you'd be inspired. It's really something. And it's Swami sanctioned also. The first time mm -hmm. I asked him, I was like, we were on a train to Chennai from Bombay. Did I tell you this? I think so. Yeah. No, but basically he said, um, I mean, I had a thing for Ramana from before I met Swami. And we were going to that part of India. So I went up to Swami on the it's train. near his hometown, right? Or in, in yeah, the Yeah, it's a couple hours from Chennai. Yeah, oh, south, south India. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah so Where's, not up in the... Himalayas, yeah. No, no, no. Very South Indian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it fascinates me to think that Swami was alive when Ramana... I mean, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. They never met, though, I asked him. Mm -hmm. um, but I asked him, I said, Swami, I just had this thing for the hill, for Ramana and where he sat. Oh, you should go. You should go. He cut me off. He said, you should go. There's a silence there. You should go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I was so stoked that he said that, you know. And lately, I think he's even, the ashram has even taken, the whole ashram has gone there when they're traveling around that part of India also. Oh, They've cool. all gone together. But I'm kind of, it, it was great to go there. And uh, uh, it does have something. There's something going on on that hill for sure. Some quiet power. It's been worshipped for hundreds of years. Anyway, before Ramana, um, it's considered Shiva himself. The hill is considered Shiva. Uh, it's like fascinating. So um, Ramana never left that hill. He never left the hill. Self-sufficiency, independence, sitting there in his, in his underwear, basically. His kopina. It's like these little like white cotton thing he tied around himself, and that's all he wore <laughs> his whole life. It's hot, you know, but like, mm. yeah, that's it. Like in the winter, it doesn't really get cold there, but some people would put some cloth on him occasionally. He had like one cane and like one stick and his little thing he wore <laughs> and didn't do anything. He never left that hill after his, like his ninth year and people would come and someone came and offered him a train to carry him around India, like on a platform so people could see him. And he was like, no, no, I can't leave. I'm not leaving this hill. I'm not leaving Shiva. And he just sat there for 19 years. He sat in one cave and he's got half a million followers on Facebook. I mean, last mm -hmm. time I checked, probably more than that now. Look at that. Look at the power of someone who's self-sufficient, who's independent. They become just like a... Uh, object of wonder to us the world just orients around them they go to them yeah he just the whole he's like i'm not moving <laughs> you want to move me I, I won't resist but i'm sitting here you want to come sit around me you can and boy did they relatedly i remember 
us chatting about a story. I think we were chatting. I might have heard it elsewhere that Ramana, while he's walking around the the hill of one of those um, 50 years he was there or something, he sat down in a chair one afternoon. Uh Yeah. Yeah, we were chatting about it, right? Yeah. Do you mind telling that story? Yeah, I read that once uh, that Ramana would go walking slowly, just moving his body a little bit um, on the side of the hill. And he, he would go this one way and um, I believe he accepted a glass of water from someone uh, who was lived near that trail. And uh, so then like the next day he goes on the walk again and they had put a chair there to offer him a glass of water and he never went that way again. He never went that way again. He was so averse to comfort. He was so allergic to any kind of dependence upon the world or favor of any kind or any sort of special treatment for what he saw was nothing but a limiting form. Any type of catering the body, you know, he was allergic to it. He, he saw, it was just it, for him, it was a landmine, you know, the, the idea that that, which is pleasure in the beginning is pain in the end. And, and the wise man, what is night to the wise man is day to all of us. And what is day to all of us is night to the wise man. Mm. It just seems like a nice gesture. Someone wanted to give him a chair to sit in to make him comfortable in his walk in the heat. And look, here we are trying to read into Ramana. I have no idea, but that's how they that's how it was translated. Who knows? I don't know what his math is. Nobody knows what these people are doing. Why he didn't go back there? Maybe it was it had nothing to do with him. Probably it had to do with that person and what that person needed. Mm. Who knows? Who knows? But it if we interpret it that way, it's a it's an interesting um it's related to what we're talking about, but said with the understanding like so much of this that we just can't know what what these people are doing, what their motives are, what these masters, good, bad, indifferent, we don't know. Hmm. We can't know. we got to get there to know. Yeah, and even if it was a... Even if it was a meaningless mathematical calculation for him of whether he'd sit in it or not, the stories being told 70 years later from you to me and then mm. has the impression to where we're telling it to anyone listening to this yeah to where Amazing. it's <laughs> this guy in india man everything Sitting is on the hill, hill everything. and he, a guy like him speaking of being like known and legacy and stuff zero interest zero 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 interest in in the personality at all that's by Mm. definition what they are and these are the people that will be the last to be forgotten Mm. this guy will be known long after the last person remembers michael jackson right it's fascinating and they have no no care for it that's the amazing thing genuinely so it is remarkable that it's ask anyone a single living king and in 1650 they wouldn't be able to yeah would never be able to tell you yeah uh maybe it's n- maybe 99.9 percent of people would never be able to tell you the wealthiest person in mm-hmm. in 1450 mm. 
some Indian guy, Maharaja, probably. But that that aside, yeah. And <laughs> but then we'll tell you know from Saint Augustine to Shankara to the Buddha. Those are the yeah. To your point, those are the the names that'll be last because uh, it's forgotten. deeper. It's more deep. These people touch the deepest part of us. Mm. So it's subtler. The subtle, subtle pervades and controls the gross. The subtler it is, the more pervasive and controlling it is. It's deeper. It's wider. It is so paradoxical. Of it's uh, paradox. I I I kind of stop saying that word or thinking that because it's almost just like no, this is the way it is. Mm. It's only paradoxical if you just think it's supposed to be another way. But mm. the idea that seeking legacy is pretty much a surefire way to not get one and even if you get one it's certainly nothing yeah like the one not seeking a legacy that's trying to disavow them of any any thoughts of them to begin with yeah and detach you gain Hmm. attach you lose the self-sufficiency is is such a deep well because you can you can every one of us knows the like clingy friend Mm-hmm. that you don't want to be around because mm-hmm. they're so dependent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're so in self-insufficient yeah unstable they're not there's no stability there mm. um, on their own to be able to and the ones who are you're just amazed like how do you how do you live like how how are you okay like you you're lacking this and that and this and this and that and that and like i know some people like that it's just mind blowing that they're fine they're they're totally good with what little they have and not that unaffected when their fortunes change and some windfall happens and then they're the same mm-hmm. same person and we uh, hopefully know everyone knows people like that too. And that that's a deeply attractive quality to be to know that like, oh, he'll be fine. Mm. He's he's good. He knows how to handle it. He'll take care of it. She'll take care of it. Ah, oh, they'll be fine. That that even on a relative plane, self sufficiency is uh, that independence is such a wonderful quality. Um. To have confidence in the well-being of another person. One less person to worry about. Is there a metaphor for how when you advance in one of these, develop one of these, evolve towards one of these ideals, that the others become closer to? And this, what's going through my mind is that I've been thinking, reflecting quite a bit on on the fact that I feel like I can only hear what I'm ready to hear. Mm-hmm. I can only listen to what I'm, what I'm already ready to listen to. And it's true. And it's similar to what we chatted about in a previous conversation around going deep, being comfortable with the things that you're just like, that doesn't make sense, but mm-hmm. not moving past it, but reflecting on it further. And it seems that when you invest in this self-sufficiency of, like the tortoise bringing its its limbs in you become safer you know you're you're more stable yeah um that self-sufficiency that introversion 
this rewiring of I don't need these 50 things perfectly around the mm -hmm. house to <laughs> do my work. <laughs> and and then these other things become easier. Yeah. Um, like becoming more self-sufficient, then you really can hear more mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. can terrify you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from maybe one perspective but mm -hmm. from another mm -hmm. like okay i'm really ready mm -hmm. to receive this mm -hmm. yeah yes for sure rising tide lifts all boats mm. all these qualities feed each other so it's uh yeah the the example that swami gives is like in chemistry where you have a trough of water and then there's like the different shaped beakers coming out of the trough of water they all have a common base and the, you know, not beakers, but like whatever, these different shapes, you pour water in one, it raises the level in all of them because mm. the, the base is common. So yeah, the base of this is attunement to the self. And that's the V tide that lifts. That lifts everything. It makes you more self-sufficient. It makes you more loving because you identify with people. It makes you more cheerful because you understand you're, infinite consciousness <laughs> temporarily housed in this flesh suit you know and so on and so forth you you become sharper you become clearer you become purer you become all the qualities that the vedanta talks about a self-realized person or a self-developed person having they all go up together so if any one of them inspires you it's wonderful to, to practice it whenever we can um it will make you more, uh, it'll, it'll elevate you in all of them equally, or at least simultaneously. I was, I was having lunch with a, with a philosophically inclined friend uh, today, and we're chatting about different, uh, the difference between Eastern and Western philosophies significantly trained in Western philosophy, mm -hmm. uh, grad school, uh, PhD, and all this. And, and uh, I noticed something just coming out of my mouth, and it, I would love for you to call bullshit on her, see where it's, uh, where it's <clears> wrong. <throat> but this thought coming out of, out of my mouth was that there's the meta virtue within the West um, like the virtue above all other virtues that maybe is this tide that can lift all other ships is, um, is, is there just my, this is just my paraphrasing of, of other observations that it seems to be the meta virtue is wisdom, but it's from the Vedantic lens. It seems like, because that's the virtue that you should seek. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the definite or the destination Says, yep. uh, is wisdom yep. but it seems like in the east or with within vedanta the meta virtue um would be now i'm already questioning it but this is just what i said was discernment mm -hmm. and it wasn't about thinking about the destination as much as it is about the virtue that can unlock all other virtues yeah, well, discernment in the sense of uh, the real from the unreal, mm. which is wisdom. Mm. They're the same. 
the wise one is the one who's attuned to the reality and is not attached to the unreality. That's what makes, that is wisdom. And yeah, that is the meta virtue. Discovering that, fine-tuning that, perfecting that. Um, the, yeah, that, that is the mother virtue of all the others. So you see through all of the change into the changeless. You cut through qualities and you see that which has no quality, etc. Mm. This is um, this leads to uh, all of these these personality qualities that we see in these great saints and all these masters uh, is because of that fundamental attunement that they have. Which, yes, yeah, sure, is, is uh, viveka, discrimination. It's such a blessing. What's going through my mind is that it's just such a blessing to get to have these conversations, to mm. get to have these types of philosophical conversations, have a conversation at lunch where then I can mm-hmm. fact check <laughs> three hours later. And yeah, it's, it is, a, that's the, benefit of satsang and and community and indeed and uh to your point of seeing the the real from the unreal seeing something like vedanta coming across and after going wide for years so Hmm. people feel like they got to visit a few different hotels to find their favorite go for it but Hmm. but then going deep it allows seeing something real within this Hmm. It's had this beautiful, just ascending loop mm-hmm. of community and our friendship and the ashram and mm-hmm. everybody on WhatsApp mm-hmm. to uh, our, even everybody in YFYI. Mm-hmm. Every time we're, a question's lobbed our way, it's so yeah, great to think about superb, it and yeah. have those conversations. Yeah. And yeah. It's, uh, it's really, it is that discernment to that self-sufficiency I don't think I would have started a podcast on something esoteric on, at best and for some uh, blasphemous and sacrilegious mm-hmm. at worst. And I don't think I would have started that had I not had some tiny speck of self-sufficiency of whatever this does to any work or yeah. friend contacts. Yes, yes. It, you know, let it let, be. Let, let it be and let yeah. mischief be afoot. Yeah, that's great. That's true. Yeah, that is self-sufficiency. Yeah, just being able to plunge confidently to uh, boldly go where no one has gone before. Mm-hmm. Seek out new <laughs> civilizations and so forth. There has mm-hmm. to be a confidence, a certain, I'll be good. Mm. Doesn't matter. If I end up like that, it's okay. If I end up like that, it's okay. Self-sufficiency. It's wonderful. If you're given a spacesuit, why not use it? Heck yeah. Thank you, Joseph, as always. Thank you, Brother James. You're the man. All right. Woo! That episode was fantastic. And if you are digging yoga for your intellect and want to introduce this philosophy to your coworkers and your team, Well, Joseph and I are down to come visit basically an in-person YFYI. Come visit with you and your team. 
in the same way that you might invite a yoga instructor for a team building event, we're willing to come to your office and talk to your team as well. We can do it over Zoom as well. It is, uh, it's whatever makes sense, but uh, we're even down to do it in person. And that is just in line with the mission of making this philosophy available and accessible to all those that seek it. Joseph and I would love to come talk with you and your team about Yoga for Your Intellect. And that really comes from my perspective of running businesses for the last 15 years and just knowing, man, it was about 10 years ago I was running a 50-person company, led to a trip to the ER, I was drinking seven cups of coffee a day to try to stay on top of everything, um, trip to the ER with a heart condition, Needless to say, it was a very, very stressful, extremely stressful time in life. And that business ultimately failed. And 10 years later, I sit here and, and get to have these conversations with, with Joseph while running two companies and, and a venture fund. Each day just feels like it's a hot knife through butter. I have not had a single day of stress in the last six, seven years of building multiple companies and, and multiple venture funds. It's truly remarkable, and I know that it's not me or the businesses that are different than 10 years ago, but it's my approach to each day and quite literally to the start to the day because every day starts with this philosophy for me, and we want to share it with your team. For me, it feels like an obligation of sorts and a loud siren saying that teams and companies around the globe need to hear this. So if you're interested, email us at, this is the key thing, email us at yogaforyourintellect at gmail.com. That's yogaforyourintellect at gmail.com. Use the email address in the show notes, and we would love to come chat with you and your team. 